All right, so in Acts chapter 15, where we were last week, uh, we talked about unity and the importance of unity. And I said a couple things about unity last week that uh, sometimes uh, unity requires that we make a sacrifice. To preserve the unity of the church, we have to make a sacrifice, maybe a sacrifice of our personal preferences, something that we really hold dear to, but you know, it's not necessarily um, an essential. Okay. Uh, I also said sometimes for the sake of unity, we might have to um, part company. Like there may be situations and circumstances where it, things get so toxic in a relationship or so toxic in a church that it's better to remove ourselves from that situation rather than sticking around and making uh, ourselves miserable, making everybody else miserable. In order to preserve the unity of the church, we may have to part company. Uh, but in all things, no matter what I said about unity last week, uh, is that unity in the church, to preserve unity in the church, we always have to love one another. Love is always at the center of unity. And so when we uh, love one another the way that Jesus loves us and, and that unconditional kind of love, and we have that love for one another and we share that love with others, uh, we point people to Jesus. We point people to the unity of the Father and the Son by our unity in the church. Because when you think about it, unity in the church isn't easy. Unity anywhere isn't easy uh, because we are so different. Like we're all different in so many different ways. We have different beliefs. We have different ideologies. We have different backgrounds. We have different ethnicities. We have different colors. We have different genders. I mean, we're all different. I mean, I think that's kind of obvious, right? We're all different. But Jesus takes our differences and he works through them and he makes us one. And while we celebrate our differences, we don't let our differences divide us. We let Jesus bring us together, and he makes us one in his blood. That was about unity, and that was last week. But at the very end of chapter 15, we saw that Paul and Barnabas had to part company because Paul and Barnabas had a difference of opinion about uh, Barnabas's cousin named John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Paul said no. They had such a sharp disagreement, they had to part company. And so that brings us to Acts chapter 16. If you haven't been here before, if this is your first time here with us, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Unleashed. And this series is all about the book of Acts. We are going chapter by chapter through the entire book of Acts, uh, reading lots and lots of scripture along the way and talking about the importance of the first century church and learning from the history of the first century church, how they did church in the first century, and learning principles for how to do church and how to be Christians in the 21st century from the first century church. So we are learning all about how to be first century, uh, first century church and first century Christians living in the 21st century. So we are in Acts chapter 16 tonight, and Acts chapter 16 uh, takes place uh, mostly in the city of Philippi, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But if you brought a Bible, grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can, you can use one on your phone, like a Bible Gateway or Version. Uh, you can do that. We'll also put the words up on the screen that I'm going to read here in just a minute. All the verses will be up on the screen. Um, but Another uh, useful tool you can use is the GFCC app. Uh, we, you can take sermon notes in the app. You can get push notifications about things that are going on around here, as well as you can give your tithes and offerings through the app. So uh, if you haven't gotten the app yet, go to your app store and search for GFCC. It's for Griffith First Christian Church. You can download that to your phone or tablet and get all kinds of cool stuff through the app. So we are in Acts chapter 16. Uh, and Acts chapter 16 begins in the cities of Lystra and Derby. Uh, these are two cities 
that Paul and Barnabas visited and planted a church. They planted churches in these cities. They had a rough welcome when they first went there, but now they're going back. Paul and Silas, his traveling companion Silas, are going back to these cities of Lystra and Derby. And in one of these cities, uh, in Derby, they came across uh, a. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, in Lystra, they came across a man named a young man named Timothy, and Timothy was going to go on to become Paul's protege, his preaching protege. And so Timothy uh, had a mother who was Jewish and a father who was Greek. So he was a uh, half Jew, half Gentile. Okay, look at verse 3. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. This is Timothy. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, if you recall, a couple uh, back, last week we talked about unity in the church because there was a division in the church over the issue of circumcision. That the uh, Jewish Christians believed that Gentile Christians had to become Jews by being circumcised before they could become Christians. And so uh, I thought this issue was settled. I mean, we saw last week how they settled this issue. They said for the Gentiles that they didn't have to be circumcised, but they should follow uh, different uh, Jewish laws regarding um, sacrifices to pagan gods. And so uh, this issue was resolved. But now you have Paul saying that Timothy has to be circumcised um, because his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. And apparently uh, Timothy had not been circumcised according to the customs uh, of the Jewish people, of the law of Moses. So why does he have to be circumcised? It was because you do whatever it takes to help people follow Jesus. And people who knew that his father was Greek and that he was uncircumcised, Jewish people who knew that he was uncircumcised, would not have listened to him. They would have rejected his message. So he wasn't circumcised for the purpose of salvation. He was, purpose, he was circumcised so that other people would listen to him when he spoke. Jewish people would listen to him when he spoke. Had nothing to do with salvation because we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we put our faith and trust in Jesus when we believe in Jesus, when we repent of our sins, we confess our faith and get baptized. God washes away our sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He gives us the hope of eternal life. And throughout the book of Acts, we see over and over again how people come to faith in Jesus. They believe and they get baptized. They believe and they get baptized. We're going to see that again two times in Acts chapter 16. So they start going from town to town, and they're planting churches, they're strengthening people, they're delivering the message from the apostles to the Gentile Christians that they did in chapter 15. Uh, and then Paul uh, uh, and his companions are trying to get into, they're trying to go southwest. This is all taking place in what is modern-day Turkey, and they're trying to go southwest into southwestern Turkey, what is modern-day southwestern Turkey. But they couldn't go there. The Holy Spirit was preventing them from going there. Look at verse 7. It says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So Jesus is telling him, I don't want you to go here yet. What does that look like? How does the spirit of Jesus prevent you from, I mean, is it kind of like, you know how mimes will create like a fake box? You know, so like, so I mean, is it like a, like a, an invisible box Like they're trying to just can't go any further. You know, maybe their legs stopped working. I don't know. But the spirit of Jesus prevented them from going into southwestern Turkey. So they had to go a different route because Jesus wanted them to go somewhere else. Uh, so they're going to go to the northwest because Paul has a vision 
of a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is in ancient Greece. And so he has a vision of a man from Macedonia uh, asking them to come and share the gospel with them, to come and help them in Macedonia. So that's what they do. They leave, uh, they sail to Troas, uh, which is across um, uh, the sea, uh, into Greece, and they go to Macedonia, into Greece. And this is where the gospel first comes to Europe. The continent of Europe is going to hear about Jesus for the first time uh, when Paul and his companions go from uh, uh, from Turkey to Greece. Uh, so they go to the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi was an incredibly important city. It was a majorly important city. Uh, it was founded, it was named for Philip II, who was the brother of Alexander the Great. Uh, and so uh, this is a, an incredibly important city. And that's where Paul, Silas, and Timothy and their traveling companions end up in the city of Philippi. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, here's the thing. Uh, in those days, uh, they would, um, people who, where there was no synagogue, they would meet where, where moving water was. So they would meet down by the river, down by the river to pray kind of thing. So they went to uh, the river, the Ganges River, uh, to pray and to talk about God. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, I, I, I love the fact that they go and they find these women there and they start telling them about Jesus and they start sharing the gospel with these women, including Lydia. Now, Lydia was a dealer in fine purple cloth and fine purple linen. Uh, purple was the color of royalty. So this is a woman who sells like her cloth to rich people, to wealthy royalty, uh, to wealthy royal people. And so she's probably very well-to-do. In fact, we find out that she has a very large house because she invites Paul and his traveling companions to stay with them. But she, she listens to them. God opens her heart to hear the message. And she comes to faith in Christ. And her and her entire household is baptized. And then she invites them to stay with her. 17, verses 17 and 18. I love this story. This is so great. Oh, so Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi, and there is a female slave, and her, uh, she is possessed by a demon, and this demon enables her to tell the future. So she's possessed by a demon that enables her to tell the future. And so she finds out that Paul and Silas and Timothy are there, and she starts following around. Look at this, verse uh, 16, 17. This is so great. Uh, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I mean, I need like a hype man like this, right? Just like I get up to preach and like, you know, there's a guy over there who's just like, Sean's going to get up and tell you how to be saved. You know, I mean, how great would that be? You know, can I get an amen? Woo -woo. Anyway, maybe not. So like she is like Paul's hype man, like going behind him. These men are telling you, how to, these men are from the Most High Guy telling you how to be saved. It says, verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. 
So like he completely fires his own hype man. And not only that, but he casts the spirit out of her. And guess what? She can't do anymore. She can't tell the future anymore. Her slave owners, like she, her owners are furious because she made them money. She'll tell you your future if you will give us money. And all of a sudden now, she can't tell the future anymore. Their bankroll is gone. And so they get everybody in the town in an uproar. They stir up the magistrates. And uh, they said that these men are throwing our entire city into an uproar. Verse 22 and 23. says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So they stripped their clothes off them. They beat them barebacked with rods. And these were like several rods uh, in, in a circle uh, with kind of like an axe handle in the middle. And so this is, this is not like being you know, hit with a switch. This is like beaten with rods. They're severely flogged and thrown into prison. And the jailer's told, you've got to watch these guys. So they are in jail in Philippi. Paul and Silas. I've heard a song about this. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Have you ever prayed so fervently, or been part of a prayer meeting so fervently, that it caused an earthquake? Could you imagine? Or praising God, singing praises to God so loudly and so strongly that it caused an earthquake. That's what happens here. So this earthquake happens. And jailers in those days were personally responsible for every prisoner in their care. And so the prison doors fly open. The chains fall off all the prisoners. And the jailers done for. In fact, the jailer decides he's going to commit suicide. Paul says, shouts out, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas could have walked out of that prison in that very moment. They could have said, we're out of here. We don't deserve to be here. We didn't do anything wrong. But they stayed. And before that, before that jailer could do himself in, they saved his life. And then, in verse 31, it says, They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in this house. At that hour of the night, this is after midnight, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. How amazing is that? I love 2 a.m. baptisms. I always tell people that I'm always, I'm available 24-7. If you ever want, if you make that decision, it's like, man, I want to get baptized. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning, call me and I'll meet you here at 7 o'clock. No, I'm kidding. I'll meet you here at 3 a.m. I don't care. I don't care. 
I'll baptize anybody, anywhere, 24-7, because I think it's that important. I think it's a hugely important step of faith, and it's part of the plan of salvation. I believe it's that important. And so maybe you haven't taken that step of faith yet. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, I really think I should get baptized, but I don't know that I'm ready to take that step of faith yet. When you're ready to take that step of faith, you let me know ASAP. And we'll, you, we'll take that step of faith with one another. Okay? I promise. I don't care if it is 2 o'clock in the morning. If, it's, if the Apostle Paul can do it, I can do it. Right? There you go. So the magistrates uh, send to the jailer the next morning and say, uh, we made a terrible mistake. Uh, we need to let Paul and Silas go. Uh, and uh, because the reason is because Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And this is going to really play into uh, effect toward the end of the book of Acts. But when you were a Roman citizen, you had rights. And one of those rights was to a legitimate trial. And Paul and Silas were not given a legitimate trial. They were, test they were tried in the street, and then they were punished without due process. And so this is bad. The magistrates are in trouble. The jailer's in trouble. Everybody's in trouble. And they're like, they're going to try and sweep this under the rug. And okay, go get Paul and Silas and get him out of here. Paul's not having any of it. Verse 37. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. And that's exactly what happens. The magistrates find out that they're Roman citizens. They're like, we are in hot water. They go down to the prison. They're like, okay, guys, let's go. Let's go. Let's quietly go, quietly go. And Paul and Silas walk out of prison. And they go back to Lydia's house and they visit with her family some more and they strengthen her family because she is literally the first convert on the continent of Europe. She's the first Christian on the continent of Europe. And they meet with her family and then they leave. And we pick up the story next week in Acts 17. But for tonight, there's some things I want you to know about being in a prison. Not that I've ever been to prison. I haven't been to prison yet. Day ain't over yet. But when it comes to being in a prison of a different kind, not a physical prison, but maybe a, a place where you feel trapped, maybe it's a place where you feel stuck, maybe it's a place where you feel imprisoned by your circumstances or your situation, there's two things you got to do. First is this, when you are in the prison, you pray. When you are in the prison, you pray. I don't care what kind of prison you find yourself in. You need to be praying. If you feel stuck in your life, you need to pray. Because what will happen is we will spend all of our time talking to everybody about the prison we find ourselves in. We'll talk to everybody. You, you may be in a prison, a financial type of a prison, like where things are really tight, you know, and... and and you may, it could be coronavirus, because of the coronavirus that you may feel stuck financially. Maybe it's really been hard on your finances. You've had to cut back and you didn't have money saved up going into it because who knew, right? And most of us are living paycheck to paycheck anyway. So trying to save up money uh, for coronaviruses uh, is not in, on anyone's radar screen. And so you feel stuck financially. Or you feel stuck in a relationship that you don't want to be in anymore. You feel stuck in your marriage or you feel stuck in your home. You feel stuck in a relationship that, you know, it feels like a prison cell. Or you feel stuck at work 
Anybody feel stuck at work? Don't answer that. Your boss may be watching online right now. You feel stuck at work? Like you feel like you can't escape? And, and, and you talk to everybody else about it. You talk to your friends about your spouse. Uh, you talk to your enemies about your spouse. You talk to your coworkers about how much you hate your job. Uh, you talk, about your co- talk to your coworkers about how much you know, financial trouble you're in. And you'll talk to everybody else. You'll talk to your parents. You'll talk to your kids. You'll talk to every. Have you talked to God? Have you prayed about your prison? Because the only one who is going to shake the doors open and who is going to shake the chains off of you is God. God is the only one who can do anything about the situation that you are stuck in. He is the best one to turn to because he shakes prison walls. He sets captives free. So don't sit there and complain to everybody else about the prison you're in. Pray to God about the prison you find yourself in. Pray to God about how you feel stuck. Talk to God before you talk to anyone else. When you're in the prison, you pray. So I don't care how stuck you feel. I mean, I do care, but I'm just saying I don't care to the point where you're not talking to God. You got to start talking to God about the prison that you're in. So no matter how stuck you feel, talk to God about it. Pray about your prison. Secondly, when you are in the prison, you praise. That's what Paul and Silas did. They were praying and they were worshiping. Now, maybe there were a few few screws loose. Maybe. No, 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 no. God knows what he's doing. He never stopped being God. And his worth, his worth, and his worthiness of honor and praise and glory transcends any circumstance and any prison cell you find yourself in. When you are in the prison, you praise. Because God is there with you in it. He's never abandoned you. He's never left you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never walk away from you. He'll never slam the door shut in your face and walk away from you. No, God is there in the prison with you. And he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Even in the toughest of circumstances, even in the most difficult of situations, God is still worthy to be praised. Oh, but God didn't do this for me, and God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to, and God didn't do this, and God didn't do that, and why should I praise God? Because he's God. Because he's God, and you're not, and neither am I. He is God, and whether he lifts a finger for us or not, he's still worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. We don't praise God because of what he's done for us. We praise God because of who he is. He is God. He is worthy of praise. He is good, and he is kind, and he is working all things together for good. So even if it's not good yet, even if your situation and circumstances haven't turned out for good yet, they will. It's the promise of God. And we praise him for his promises. We praise him for his presence. We praise him for his power. Even when we're in the prison, we praise the Lord. And here's the interesting thing. We 
we pray when we're in the prison, we praise when we're in the prison because God can use your prison to free someone else. God may be able to use your prison to free someone else. It's what he did for the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer was lost. So much so that when the prisoners escaped, when he thought the prisoners had escaped, he was going to do himself in. But God had Paul and Silas right where he wanted them, even in the midst of a prison, and said, no, don't do that. God's got a better way. And he told them, he told them about Jesus. And so God used Paul and Silas in a prison to set the jailer free, more free than he had ever been before. Isn't that amazing? That God can use your prison to perhaps set someone else free by your perseverance in the prison, by your presence in the prison with someone else. God can use your circumstances and he can use your situation. He can use the difficult times you've been through to encourage someone else in the difficult times they've yet to go through. God can use your testimony to help someone else. God can use your testimony to strengthen someone else's faith. God can use your story to rewrite someone else's destiny if you'll let him. But if you're just going to sit in the prison and pout, you are going to miss out on an opportunity to pray. You're going to miss out on an opportunity to praise. You're going to miss out on an opportunity to share your testimony and to change someone's life. Because that can happen even in the midst of a prison.